Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Black Rifle Coffee Podcast. Have a special guest, Remy, in the house yeah, yeah. from coming from San Diego, right? Yeah, man, San Diego. Um, your book drops this week, man. I'm yeah. stoked for you because uh, your first book was amazing. Thank you. That's nonfiction. Yeah, the story of your life, and you have a, a really epic story. We'll get into that. Yeah. But this book, Chameleon, is the fictitious version yeah. of some of the things that you went through and exp the experiences you had, yeah. which makes it really cool. Tell me about how, the, like, where did this book get started? You know, I actually got started, I was on a deployment in 2010, and I was doing a lot of humid work, running yeah. sources, building intelligence packages. Iraq? So we, Iraq, yeah, okay. Iraq, yeah. so that we could do DA. So a lot of it was, all, so I got the chance to live the best of both worlds on the intelligence side, doing stuff with the DIA, and yeah. which is, another offshoot of the CIA and so on and so forth. And while I was out there, I had to become a different character for each source I was running. I had to be a different person for one source, a different person for another source, yeah, and I had to be a different person when I was briefing you know, agency guys, and I had to be a different person when I was briefing my platoon chief. So this idea came down, I was like, dude, I'm, like, I'm having to become a chameleon. Oh. And that's when the title first popped in my head, Chameleon, yeah. because, you know, like we were talking about offline a few minutes ago, there's James Bond, there's, you know, there's uh, Ethan Hunt from Mission Impossible, there's uh, Jason Bourne, there's all these characters, and, and they're white guys, and they, they do awesome stuff, and they're great, but I've never saw a black protagonist quite like this, yeah. that, and I believe that one of the reasons that, that's, that, that, that I didn't was because there hasn't, there wasn't, or hasn't really been a lot of people that come from the same eclectic background that I come from, going from Nigeria, going doing stuff in the Bronx, selling drugs in the Bronx, doing all that crazy stuff, and then making my way into special operations and falling into the intelligence side. And because that probably never really existed, that's why there was never a vision for that type of character. And so that's when I was like, you know what? Let me just start taking notes. I never, never thought I would be an author. <laughs> yeah. Never thought I would be in the film and TV business. But for some reason, something told me, just take notes. So I remember writing down, you know, chameleon in my notepad while I was deployed in 2010. And then I wrote down like, oh, it would be cool for there to be a scene in the club where he's in Nigeria. I wrote that down and I just started taking notes. And over the course of, I don't know, four, uh, 12 years, not even before that, over the course of 10 years, I, I took those notes. And then finally, after I wrote Transform, my first book, yeah. I was already working in the film and TV business and I was getting these scripts and reading them, you know, as to consider working on as a consultant. And that's when I was like, I could do better than this. I could, I think I can write a better screenplay based off my, given my experience. And that's when I was like, all right, I'm gonna take all those notes that I had, I've compiled over the years and turn that into a screenplay. Yeah. So it actually started, that's how it all came together. It all started out uh, initially as a screenplay that eventually got picked up by a major producer in Hollywood. I went through a year of rewrites on with that producer and then the book situation kind of came about. It's awesome, man. It's an epic story because it's based off yeah. your foundation. Let's talk yeah. about your foundation. Yeah. I mean, I love your first book because, well, I love your story. Thank you. Because where you come from, you know, where you had a lot of hardship and challenges through adversity. Yeah. That story is like the superhero story yeah. that especially that young black men need. Yes. Right? Yes, yes. And you know, I I, I my uncle's black. I grew up with a, a very interracial family, Puerto Rican, black, yeah. Korean, white. And when we were kids growing up, there wasn't black role models yeah. that were like Superman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And we had talked about that offline, like yeah. unless they made the character black, but originally he yeah. was white. Yes. And you know, outside of that, 
you have a unique experience because you went to special operations. Skin color aside, it's like you, you did one of the most difficult things that you could do in the military. Yeah. Hey, this summer you can help Black Rifle Coffee and the boot campaign raise $1 million for veterans. All you need to do is grab a can of ready-to-drink coffee from your local grocery or convenience store from May 31st to August 31st. Every can of ready-to-drink coffee you buy will contribute to making this massive donation possible. Thanks, guys. Let's talk about the foundation. Like, where'd you grow up? Yeah. How did you get into the military? What'd you do yeah. in the military? Yeah, I was actually born in Nigeria, and I was born into a super wealthy family. My dad was, he was a royal chief, but he was also a businessman, traveled all around the world, established a lot of different businesses. Was the um, only guy, I mean, if people yeah, don't know this, yeah. Nigeria is one of the richest yep. countries in the world, yep. but, all, but in Africa, it's the most. Yeah, because of oil, yeah. cocoa, gas, uh, natural gas, excuse me, gold. I mean, you, yeah, you name it. All the resources it, right there. They have it. There's a lot of Nigerians that are that, that um, are of the belief that Nigeria is a cradle of civilization because there's so many resources there. But my dad, you know, he was he was very successful, and so I was born into a into a rich family. I didn't want for anything. But fast forward, the Nigerian government is historically very corrupt, and so um, they ended up stripping my father of all of his assets. And he died weeks later, and we went from very rich to very poor. And then my mom, she permanently relocated us to the Bronx. And, um, you know, I was five at the time, but as I began to grow old and realizing that I didn't have a father, I didn't have a role model yeah. to guide me, to teach me how to be a man, that's when I started to look to the streets to teach me how to become a man. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that that led me to, you know, hip hop culture, street culture, you know, watch, watching drug dealers and other people who do nefarious things and saying, thinking that that's what I need to do in order to become a man. So, you know, I started out stealing from my mom and, and that progressed to stealing from stores, that progressed to selling drugs, that progressed to running high level scams. And I was deeply immersed in the street culture, drug culture, hip hop culture, mm. you name it, it was me. And and uh, I also started a record company at the time because I always wanted to be, I always loved hip hop and rap. So I, I really wanted to essentially be become what I had, what had loan, uh, allowed me to become what I had become. So I invested into a, a record company illegally with the legal money that I made. And then fast forward, you know, I ended up getting involved in a with a deal with a drug dealer that went bad. So some products that were supposed to last for a certain amount of time. Those products only lasted for a fraction of that time, and he threatened my life. And I made him his money back, and that's when I decided I need to I need to get out of this game because if I don't, I'm gonna either end up dead or in prison. And so, you know, for a few months, I tried to make the music thing work. That didn't work, and then finally, in June of 2002, I felt this calling. I felt this presence. I felt something tell me that you need to get out of here. You need to join the military. And I know it wasn't my voice i know it wasn't my thought because i hated the government I, I hated the police and i associated anybody in the uniform as the police i didn't like authority you know i believed everything that i was taught as a kid you know especially through hip-hop and cult, hip-hop culture about you know screw authority you know what i mean like you know and so um but after battling with that idea I finally looked around the room that I was in that I had been in, you know, last you know, 15 years of my life. And I was just like, what else has your life amounted to? Mm. Your life, following that path that you thought was the path that's going to lead to success and, and make you a man has led you to the point where you have absolutely nothing. Mm. That facade was 
exactly what it was, a facade. Mm. And so uh, that's when I said, okay, let's see what happens. And I went to the uh, Marine recruiters first, I was gonna join the Marine Corps, and then there was nobody in the office, and went a few doors down to the Navy recruiter's office, and there was a awesome Navy recruiter there by the name of Tiana Nadine Reyes, and uh, she asked me what I want to do. I said, I want to be a SEAL. And she said, she laughed at me because I was super skinny. And, <laughs> <laughs> and then she had me take a, a, a ASVAP practice test. I took it. I didn't qualify high enough to become a SEAL, but I qualified to go to, go to BUDS, but I qualify high enough to get into the Navy. And then she ran my background, found out I had two warrants out for my arrest. And I got up, got ready to run out of the office. And she stopped me and uh, essentially told me, come back tomorrow. And I was like, for what? She said, just come back tomorrow and something nice. And I came back the next day and she was in her dress uniform. And she took me to both judges, took me to the judge in New Jersey, judge in New York, advocate on my behalf. And both judges, because this was about eight, nine months after 9-11, both judges unanimously expunged my record, essentially say, hey, if this guy's With warrants. With warrants, yeah, expunged my record. They was like, hey, listen, if this guy's serious about joining the military after an act of war, will clear his record. Wow. And, uh, and and a lot of it was because of her. She was just, she really advocated for me. She was just like, listen, he's made mistakes, but he has potential. You know, there's nothing left for him. You could put him in the, in the prison system, but here's an opportunity for him to, to essentially change the narrative. And uh, that advocating helped. And that's and then she went a step further and fudged the paperwork to sneak me into the Navy, and that's that that was how I got into the Navy. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So she, you had a different set of incentives. It was like yeah. you, you're going to jail or you, you're going to the Navy. Yeah, for if, yeah, it was like I know I know that if I stayed in New York City, I would have eventually gone back to what I was doing. Mm. You know. We all got spanked as a kid. Well, most of us did got spanked yeah. as kids, and we get spanked, and then we'd be good for a while, right? And then you get back we to forget, and then it's like, oh, you do this, and then you got to get corrected again. Yeah. And I know that I would have went back to yeah that that situation with the drug dealer was a spanking, and it hurt. But then after I knew that after a while I would go back, and so I knew that if I didn't stop, I would end up in de dead or in prison, hundred percent. I mean, one of the guys I used to sell drugs with is in prison to this day. Wow. Post all the experiences. Post everything. I mean, he's been in prison for like the last 10 years. Wow. You know? You, well, you, how do you go from running the streets in, in the Bronx yeah. to becoming a Navy SEAL? Like, what's the bridge there? Are you like in the Navy and you're like, oh, I'm going to try out yeah. and then you just make it? Well, uh, <laughs> I, I watched a film before I joined the Navy called The Rock and that's what, what really kind of planted the seed. Uh, as far as becoming a SEAL. And then when I got the boot camp, a, a SEAL came to our division and he essentially showed us a video of guys doing Navy SEAL stuff, scuba diving, jumping from planes, beers, driving dune buggies, suppressors on guns. And I was like, I really, really want to do that. Um, and so the path for me until I couldn't take the screening test at that time because I wasn't, I couldn't swim and I didn't have the academic score. So I had to wait till I got to my first command. I got to my first command, which was Naval Hospital Camp Pendleton. And I just, I trained. I mean, I would work four hour, the four hour uh, uh, clinic, I was stationed in hospitals. So I would work the four hour clinic in the morning, have four hours in the afternoon off to train. And then I would come back and work the night clinic. And I just, 
train that will run to the pool, three miles to the pool, jump in the shallow end, try to figure it out, run three miles back. You know, I got an ASVAB from Dummies book, studied that book relentlessly. I went to the gym, didn't have anybody teach me how to work out, just jumped on pull-up bars and just made up workouts, you know? And So you uh, taught yourself how to swim? I, yeah, well, I taught myself how to swim to a point. It got to the point where I was, I got stuck and so, I humbled myself and I just asked the lifeguard at one day, I was like, hey, listen, like I'm really, really struggling. Can you help me? And he's like, I can't come down and teach you how to swim, but I could talk you through what to do from the lifeguard guard tower. Oh. And so that's what he did for so me. So he's giving free lessons from the tower. Yeah, man, from the tower. I mean, he would he would critique my stroke every lap I would do, and then I would take those pointers and then apply them wow. on the next lap. And then and then, you know, uh, I would say about two about a month and a half in, this lieutenant colonel I'll never forget his name, Lieutenant Colonel Murray. He was a recon Marine. Mm. He would see me running uphill. He would drive by me as I was running uphill from the hospital to the pool. And one day he saw me in a locker room and he said, dude, what are you training for? I see you running up and down this hill to the pool. Like every day, what's going on? I was like, he's like, you want to be a recon Marine? I was like, no, sir, I'm trying to be a SEAL. And he was like, let me help you out. So then he kind of helped me. And then that was the thing. That's the thing. I've always had people come in my life who just like, Tiana, let me help you out. You know, I know you got these records. Let me get you. Lieutenant Colonel Murray, let me help you out. My LPO. So he was a lieutenant colonel at the time. He was a lieutenant colonel at the time. And you were what, E3? I was E2. E2? Yeah, I was an E2. And he starts helping you, yeah, yeah, mentoring you. to yeah. get. Dude, Dude, how squared away is that? That's yeah, so awesome. Yeah. And and that's what really got me over the hump and got me to to pass the 500-yard uh, swim to get into the so I, I passed the screening test, which consisted of a swim, a run, push-ups, pull-ups, and then I uh, 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 I passed the ASVAB test. Well, mm. not passed, but I scored high enough to get in the buds, and that's kind of how it all came. So you had a lot of obstacles. A lot of obstacles, and I tell people all the time, when you have a dream, you know, you can make one or two decisions. You can either do the extra, extra hard work in order to overcome that dream or uh, and overcome the obstacles that's going to, excuse me, overcome the obstacles that's going to lead to you achieving that dream. Or you could throw your hands up and say, I'm a victim. I can't do it. This, and, you know, I, I can never make it, blah, 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 and then walk away. And uh, I didn't let those obstacles get in my way. And to this day, you know, I always fall back on that. Every time I find myself in a challenging spot, um, whether it's in publishing a book or making a film or whatever, I always think back on that foundation where I did the extra hard work. I found a way where there wasn't any way and I got the job done. So, yeah, I, and sometimes I try to tell people all the time that there's no excuses. You know what I mean? So many do. I think we live in a culture and time now where everybody has it, but this, yeah. but that, but this. No, 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 no. Yeah. No, there's no excuses. Yeah, and it's all on you too. Everybody yeah. wants somebody else to do something for exactly. them. Exactly. Exactly. Um. So you so you get to buds. How was your buds experience? Was it hard? Yeah, it was kicking the nuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was kicking the nuts. Um. The 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 water man for me was the worst part. Um. The cold water. Yeah. And the cold waters were really. Yeah, hammered me big time. There's not a lot of cold water in Nigeria. Yeah, yeah, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't get in any cold water in New York. So, uh, yeah, no, that and then the distant swims. Like, I didn't even realize how that I had to know how to swim two miles in the ocean against current with fins, wetsuit, yeah. wet belt, all that stuff. So I struggled big time to the point where um, after I made it through Hell Week, I got performance roll two classes to learn how to swim properly in the ocean. And then um, graduated to dive phase after I passed my first swim in first phase and then failed my first two swims in dive phase, which is second phase because the swim times dropped from 85 minutes to 80 minutes. And then on top of failing those two swims, I failed the tread, which is a which is a dive test um, where you gotta keep your hands above water and 
dive tanks, 2080 tanks on your back, belt, all of that, and you gotta tread water for five minutes. I failed that four times. So I ended up going to ARB board, academic review review board, got kicked out of buds, went went back went to back to Camp Pendleton. This time I was stationed with the infantry, first marine division. And then I went back to Buds and I breezed through. And that's why I actually met where I met um, Andy Stump. He was my Buds instructor. Really? Yeah. He, no. He was my dive face Buds instructor. Are you serious? So, so he did my pool comp, everything, man. Yeah. yeah really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. How yeah. was he as an instructor? Oh, uh, this, now, ooh, got some dirt on it. How was he as an instructor? <laughs> well, he was our pro- class proctor as well. So, yeah. he, so he had that. He, he, he had a mentor, he you had guys. A balance. That was a balance of the mentorship, but he was hard on us, man. Was he? Oh, he, no student wanted him for pool for the pool comp. So, <laughs> So pool comp is a test where you gotta and he and I I I, tell, I joke with him when I did this podcast years ago. I was like, I was like, Andy, you filmed me the first time on that pool comp, but I really passed. He's like, no, no, no. <laughs> See, because because no one's because the rumor was the the first pool comp, the, the, uh, the, the instructors want everybody to fail the first pool comp. Yeah, you know yeah. I mean? They don't want to give anybody a pass, and you got to be like pretty much. Perfect for the first pool contest. And so the rumor was, you know, the instructors didn't want you to pass. And Andy was the worst instructor to go to because he failed everybody. So here we are. It's so funny. We're all lining up behind you because we get in line. We have our dive tanks on. And we, I forgot, I can't, I can't remember exactly how it played out. But what I do remember is you kind of, you had a chance to kind of almost somewhat indirectly pick who your instructor was going to be. Yeah. And so they were guys who were like, straying away from Andy's Swimming line. away from Andy's line. And I was like, and it, I, I just ended up like the guy at the front, like right there at Andy. I was like, all right, whatever. I'm going to go in and do yeah. this. And pool comp is where you go in the water with they the thrash you, right? They thrash you, rip, rip your hose off after you exhale your air, you know, mouthpiece out, tie your hose in a knot, mess up your gear, mess up your straps. And and then you've got to fix your gear right after you fix it. You get, get some oxygen. They hit you again, and it's constant. And so Andy was brutal, brother. I mean, he was brutal. And I passed. Like, I will always tell him. Was he the him, dude thrashing you? Yeah, yeah. He was a guy. Th- oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. what he, a dick. Yeah, I know yeah, Andy's yeah. a dick, man. Yeah, he, I can Crashes you and then he 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 uh, scores you. Wow! So he determines on whether you pass or fail. But anyway, so you passed the first time. No, he failed me. I, I, I in my head I passed the first time. <laughs> Just saying that, Andy. In my head I passed the first time. But Andy says I failed. But it's all good. And you I, retested with him again. No, I retested with another instructor because I, from what I remember, you can't test with the yeah, same. Yeah, you rotate out. Yeah. And so I passed the second time. That's awesome, man. And yeah. then you. How many black guys were in your buds class? Oh, man, like, uh, well, I was the only black guy that graduated my buds class, but uh, I can't remember how many started. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> my class, it's my, rare. Yeah, 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 it's rare. I mean, the, yeah, it's less than one percent of the seals are African American. Yeah, and then once we get into the human side of things, that number you know dwindles even more so. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I'm, I, th- I want to say the class I graduated may have started with like three, four black dudes out yeah. of two out of two. 70, I wow. want to say, and 29 of us guys graduate. I was the only black guy in my graduating class. Wow. And that's the way it is. I mean, typically it's uh, either no black guys will graduate or you'll get like maybe, you know, one every, you know, four or five classes that'll graduate. Wow, man. Yeah. What, what did that accomplish feel like for you? It felt good, man, especially coming from where I came from, you know, and uh, um, having the upbringing that I had. And it, it really, it, it boosted my confidence. Um, and it, 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 I felt like I was a part of the right team, right? Because when yeah. I was in the Bronx, I was always chasing the wrong people. And yeah. I felt like I had finally become a part of the right group. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like guys that will 
that 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 truly want to lead you to an honorable place and lead you to do honorable things and challenge you in those areas, especially areas where you might be slipping, you know, as mm-hmm. a as a teammate, as a father, as a husband. Even to this day, there's guys I saw. I was on a call about two weeks ago with a SEAL I served with, went to Buds with as well. And, uh, you know, he was going through some stuff and, and I challenged him. And, you know, hey, Remember this with your kids, and just one with he's like, yeah, you're right, and he does the same thing with me. And to this yes. day, there's other seals. It's like, yo, dude, what's going on with your marriage? What's going on? How are you treating your wife? What's, you yeah. know, how's it going? On and there's here? very few people in our little circles yep. that could one that we respect enough yes. to be able to do that. Yes, because people could talk, but if you don't have a rapport and an experience, maybe even common, yep. then it's hard to listen to. Exactly, that. exactly. So I felt like I finally became a part of something great. Yeah, you know what I mean, and uh, yeah, it was awesome, man. Was How long awesome. was your run? So talk about your uh, your SEAL career. Yes, yeah, so I was in from I joined the Navy two thousand two, uh, finished buds two thousand seven two thousand eight. Uh, was in from from that point into twenty sixteen. Yeah, um, three deployments. Awesome. Um, had a good time. You know what I mean. Got to do you know as we were t- talking about off camera. Got to kind of live the best of both worlds on the humid side of things. Mm. Uh, you know, going through the different schools. ASO. I'm not sure what they call it. It's ASO. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know they changed the name. They changed the name. Oh, did they? Yeah, they changed the name. Yeah. So it was like you know doing the ASO and TSO and you know and and other stuff I can't mention. But you know, being able to live in that world and learn from that world and then also take what I learned growing up in the streets of the Bronx, right? Because a lot of what I did as a source handler and running sources and all that, you know, a lot of what I did in the Bronx applies to that. How yeah. to read people. Street smarts. Street smarts. Whether yeah. to know to know whether somebody's lying to you or whether yeah. somebody's telling the truth or whether somebody may want to tell the truth but they're scared of, of some type of retribution. So, so, you know, being able to take all of the stuff that I learned, now add theory to it in these courses I went through and then now be able to apply all of that overseas. Oh, man, it was awesome. I'll never forget Cinco de Mayo of, I can't remember what year it was, but um, I, we were in Baghdad at at the agency headquarters, the mm. base of operations, sitting poolside, sipping Coronas with these two with these two CIA agents and me and two other ASO guys, and just looking at the pool. It's, it was uh, Saddam's old palace that yeah. they had converted, and just like, damn man, like, how the hell did I? End up here? <laughs> <laughs> they know how to live right. Yeah, they yeah. treat CIA treats their people I, good. I, I, I was just thinking, like, Remy, you were running from the feds. Because they were people who were doing what I was doing. They were getting caught and going to federal prison. Now here you are kind of working with yeah. the president. Mingling with Saeed. Yeah, yeah, Saddam's man. palace. It's Saddam's palace. I'll never forget that. So, you know, it was a, it was an awesome run. And, you know, a lot of, you know, that's when, you know, my writing evolved as a writer because I had to do a lot of writing as a human guy. And that was one of the reasons why I didn't mind signing up for a lot of SEALs didn't want to go to the human school, ASO and all that stuff because yeah. they like screw the writing, but I didn't mind because I love writing. So, you know, doing all of that stuff really, it, it, it helped me as a husband, helped me as a father, helped me as a man all around, uh, gave me some awesome experiences, allowed me to serve the nation in a way that I never thought I would be to serve the nation. And then now take a lot of those things that I've learned and apply to what I do today. Looking for a quick and easy way to grab your favorite Black Rifle coffee roast? Well, you could find America's Coffee on the shelves of your local Walmart. Stock up on your favorite roast as well as several Walmart exclusives you can't find anywhere else. No need to worry about waiting for shipping or having to drive all the way across town to find your favorite Black Rifle Coffee roast. Whether you're filling up for an early morning hunt or just need a pick-me-up during a busy day, 
Stop by Walmart and grab a bag of Black Rifle Coffee today. That's awesome. As a man. filmmaker, a storyteller, and even a husband as a father. Yeah, we get out. We get out the same year, yeah. and I transitioned and started Philcraft, my company. Yeah. You transition, and you started getting involved in the movie scene. Yeah. I, as long as I've known you, yeah. even before that, I've always seen you doing things like advising and now yeah. acting. Yeah. What, what are you doing right now with movies? What, yeah, what have you done and what are you doing? Yeah, now? I'm a writer-director now. So I, so, so um, when I got out in January, that's a, so when I got out in May, uh, I got out in January, but then I was in grad school, I actually get my master's in business. And then the opportunity came to jump on Transformers in May of 2016. And then- um, You were uh, an actor in that in Transformers. Actor right? slash consultant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then advisor, I don't know the term, TA, I hear different terms for it. And then, um, and then that kind of opened up my mind to this concept of being able to tell stories mm. via a media platform. And so um, after working on Transformers, that's when I started, you know, I wrote my book, uh, transformed after that, and then that's when I really started getting more jobs as a consultant. I did two commercials with Peter Berg, and then I worked on Six Underground with Michael Bay. And then for that, for Six Underground, I was just a consultant. I didn't really do any acting in that, and that's why I was like, dude, I want to. I really want to pursue the writing, producing side more so. So I taught myself screenwriting after I wrote after I wrote the Transform booked book, and then. Wrote a couple scripts. Finally got a, got a script that got me a job, which got me into the WGA, which is the Writers Guild of America. Wrote, I got hired to adapt the book into a limited series for a production company, and then from there, after teaching myself writing, I was like, okay, I finished the script, which the chameleon script, and it's kind of how to, to get to the chameleon piece. I finished the chameleon script with this producer doing rewrites, and he was trying to attach a director to direct the film and he was going to these different directors and they was like, we love the script, but booked up for the next two years, love the script, booked up for the next four years, love the script, but, and the option was getting ready to expire. And in my mind, I was just like, dang, like, why don't I just teach myself how to direct? Mm. Why do I have to wait? Why do I have to do all this work, write this screenplay, and then now have to chase a director to direct yeah. the film? And it's almost like being an operator overseas. Who's the guy that gets to go on every job? It's a guy who's not just a corpsman, but it's a corpsman, JTAC, sniper, breed. Yeah. The more quals you have, the more options you're Absolutely. going. Absolutely. And it's the same way in Hollywood. The more you know how to do, the more you, not necessarily, I'm not saying you like get a lot more work, but it's gonna create more opportunities for you. And so that's when I, I was like, okay, I taught myself screenwriting, I've excelled in that, got into the WGA, which is really hard to get into, and now I'm going to start teaching myself how to direct. So I directed a, a, a short film called The Unexpected, which is a it's on YouTube now. It's a, a based on true events around an organ harvesting ring, international organ harvesting ring. Wow. Uh, yeah, showed how kind of tell the story backwards, showing where this heart came from. This story starts out in TJ, um, and then it kind of goes backwards to show where this heart came from. This Amer that this American couple just received for their son, and so it traces it back. And then that short film got a lot of buzz. It got picked up by G-Base, which is Gerard Butler and Alan Siegel's production company. They watched the short, and then I wrote a script. Uh, as a, which was a sequel to the short. And it was just like, dude, this could be an awesome freaking thriller series. So that got picked up and then we attached some other producers. And so now I'm gearing up to direct that film, which is going to be my, my, my th the third project I direct because I just directed. So it's going to be a big Hollywood a movie, thirty five million, and you're going to direct it. I'm directing it. Yeah, yeah. I was I, I actually just texted with the producers on the Shut way, up. and the financiers on the way here. So G Base is the one who's funding it. G, G Base is producing it. Mike Grabowie and his production company are financing. Mike Grabowie produced Hotel Mumbai, and he's produced a bunch of stuff with um with uh 
with uh, Thunder Road, which was Basley Wanix company. What? So yeah, it's already financed. What's the pressure like? I mean, you were basically yeah. a, a joint task force commander yeah. managing everything on yeah. set. Yeah. What's the that pressure for you feel like? It's no pressure. I tell you, dude, filmmaking is, all filmmaking is, is leadership. All directing is, is being a leader. And you thrive in that. It's, yeah, it's, I, I feel yeah. like I do. You know yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. All it is, is being able to articulate your ideas to a team. You can't, a director, you can't do every job. Yeah. It's akin to the military. You have all these different departments. You got your you got your costumes department, your production design, just like you got your dive locker, you have your air ops, you got and your job is to be able to communicate to your team, to your sled dogs, what it is that you're trying to get. What is the vision? The first way that starts is with the screenplay. That's yeah. why for me, it's hard for me. I can't ever envision, I, I might be talking myself out of some jobs here, but I can't ever envision directing a script that I didn't write because directing always starts with the screenplay. You direct the movie first on the page. Yeah, that's like the con op. It starts yeah, with the con it's, op. Yeah, that's yeah. The, that, it's the blueprint. It's the beat, yeah, it's the it's blueprint. blueprint. Yeah. It's, it's, it's everything. And then from there, it's now art, give, handing that script, writing that script in a way where other people will be able to art, understand it and then do what needs to be done, but then also now the next step is being able to articulate the heart behind the script yeah. to this different team. You gotta members. keep the message alive. Keep the message alive. And then and then from there making a movie. Being a good leader. It's all like directing, all directing is is being a good leader. Man. You know, I've had a chance to work with some but Michael Bay, Peter Berg, Antoine Fuqua, Yakov, a bunch of different directors. And the and the reoccurring theme is that all it is is good leadership. You don't have to know everything about which camera lens to put on. And Quentin Tarantino says this before, so I'm stealing what he said. You don't have to know what type of lens and all about lenses. You don't have to know about every type of camera. You don't have to be an expert in lighting. All you have to do is be able to communicate your vision to other people who are experts, and they will help tell a story that you're trying to tell. And that's what I love what? about directing. Man. Yeah, that's the mill the yeah. side is you, you're, you're communicating intent. Yes. And it's like if, you can, if the commander can communicate his intent, yep. the boys will get it done. Exactly. Oh, man, I'm excited exactly. for you, man. Thank you, When's man. that? When does that launch? When do well, you do we that? were supposed to go into production mid-July. Oh, the... But the writer's strike, man, shut everything down. Oh, man. Even though the script is written and done because I'm a WGA writer. Yeah. We, What's WGA stand for? WGA stands for the Writers Guild of America. Oh, okay. So it's almost like in order to get it, it's like you got to go through buds almost like to yeah. get the qualification. You know, you got to have written a script or a number of scripts which got you a number of points which allows you to get into the union. But you're a member in that union. Yeah, I'm a member. And then you, once you're in the union, you're in the union. Yeah, and, and once you show up and you got that membership, yeah. you're that's some validation. And, and, and studios can only work with WGA writers. So every wow. Hollywood studio, every Hollywood streamer, they can only work with WGA writers. So, you know, it, it, it's one of those things you're in the business. Once you become a WGA writer, you're, you're kind of in the business, so to speak. And so, um, yeah, man. How does that unfold? How, do, how does the, I mean, I'm interested in it because we yeah. talk about prep life and yeah, me yeah. and John geek out over chat GBT and yeah, like, yeah. oh, if they were, if they were trying to protest or if they were trying to say, hey, we are not going to do the writing. Well, you're leaving a big gap and void for ChatGPT. Yeah, what what's your opinion on this? How's it going to work out? Well, right now, you know, we've been on strike for, since we're going on two months now, and uh, you know, one of the things, one of the reasons why we went on strike was because of the AI. Studios yeah. want to be able, specifically more so, more so streamers want to be able to use AI AI technology to generate a script and then have an executive or an assistant come in and fill in the blanks and yeah. kind of polish the script. The issue with that is you take away jobs from WGA writers. Yeah, significantly, S right? Significantly, and the thing is, you know, a, a robot doesn't have 
AI doesn't have a soul. It doesn't have a spirit. It doesn't really know emotion. All it knows is standard. And so you're going to, and that's why another writer is going to have to come in. So essentially what the WGA said is, okay, if it's studios, if you want to use AI, that's fine, but you have to then bring in QC the WGA writer yeah. who's going to then get be credited solely as the writer on the screenplay and get paid the WGA fee. That makes sense. And the studio specifically, you know, one of the big streamers said, we don't even want to have a conversation about that. Which means they just want to prompt it and get it done themselves. Because they want to be able to save money, save millions of dollars. Because, you know, it's not just about the pay that you get when you when you write a script. Like, for example, my book, Transformer, got picked up to be a movie by a major studio. Uh, that's going to get announced after the writer's strike. But they hired me to write the screenplay. And the thing is, you can't just... It, it, there's a there's a process to it, and it's not just about me getting paid to write the screenplay. They pay me a lot of money to write the screenplay, but they also gonna have to pay me residuals. They also gotta pay oh. me points. They also gotta pay me back end. It's a long term play. If you yeah, if you if you use AI, that's millions of dollars that over time. the studio over the time that the studios Ooh. are having to save. Yeah, you know what I mean. That's so, crazy, man. So yeah, I, I think it's I think it's a. I'm I'm against it, you know, especially being a WGA writer. And AI is never going to be able to, even if you get somebody to polish the script. Then it takes a writer to be able to do the job. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. It might be a start point. Yeah, but it's nowhere near the finish. Point. It's nowhere near the finish line. Uh, yeah. So so walk me through. Well, one. Yeah. You just said your book transformed. Yep. You're going to announce it because we're formally announcing it yeah. now. Yeah. Um, it's going to be a movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can announce it now, but I can't announce who is the studio behind it yet. <laughs> so it's already committed to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's what? Done. yeah You're yeah, blowing yeah, up. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, they they uh, bought my life rights. Yeah, uh, they bought my book rights, and then they hired. They me already to write paid you out. How do you talk about that? Just how do you buy a life? Like they just bought all. They just bought it all, though. The I rights. can't talk. Yeah, they bought the life rights. They bought the book rights, and then they uh, they hired me to write the screenplay. And uh, and and so that's, that's awesome. Yeah, so once this all of this stuff lifts, I already finished the first draft of the script. Oh my god! The first draft man. of the script, and I kept it in line with the book. So this is guaranteed. This is guaranteed. This ain't theory. This, this is guaranteed. Is the only thing is who's directing it, which. Why don't me you direct? My, me and my, well, that's what me and my team are working on. You yeah, know, because who's going to play you? Uh, there's 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 uh there's there's an actor that the the, the studio wants. I can't Denzel. mention his name. Oh, he's too old, man. Oh, he's too old. That's right. <laughs> Denzel in the nineties. Yeah, yeah, he's too old. Man. Yeah, maybe a nineties Denzel. But there, but there's a few there's a few options we have. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Congrats, man. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I'm yeah. I'm so stoked yeah, for you, man. Yeah. I'm so happy for you, man. And it's gonna be you know it's it's gonna be I want you know it's gonna be. Like the book, it's going to be the book, real raw, but with the goal to inspire and show other people, hey man, you could do anything, man. Dude, like you could do anything, man. This is like, crazy. Yeah. Oh, I hope we get beyond the strike. I hope this thing yeah. gets worked out. Yeah. What walk me through this and how yeah. this adaptation? Because when, here's here's the unique yeah. thing. I, I see Jack Carr's name on the front yeah, of this, yeah, yeah. and he gives the quote. He says, "Delivering authentic action from someone who has lived it. Yeah. Chameleon is on target and scores a direct hit." Yeah, and I. I you know, when I see Jack Carr crushing it, yeah, yeah, yeah. and his and I see Terminal List, yeah. and all the things Chris Pratt's doing yeah. to to hit a home run, yeah. And then I look at how this transforms, transforms, yeah, um, yeah. how this transforms, <laughs> and and the adaptations of film, mm. which is I think is really important, yeah, yeah. as many mediums as possible, yes. graphic novels, yep. cart, all the things, action, superhero, like yeah. all the things. When I see this, how do you do it? 
properly? Is this something like, mm-hmm. is this like a movie part one, part two, part three? Is this like mm-hmm. a Amazon Prime show? Mm-hmm. H- how do you adapt something that's going to be like Jack Carr stuff is complex. Yeah. But when you talk about interagency and the complexity yeah. of human, yeah. that's complex. How do yeah, you do that? Ah, yeah. oh, man, it starts with taking a lot of notes. Uh, yeah. It starts with taking a lot of notes and having a good plan. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, as I mentioned earlier, I wrote the screenplay first and, and I had a good start because I had like 10 years of notes. And then uh, after I wrote the screenplay, the screenplay served as a great foundation for the book. Mm. Now, when I, um, when I, we, after we got, I got the deal with William Murrow, my agent was like, hey, how about we just take the screenplay and stretch that out into book one? Mm. And my my policy was kind of like what you what you mentioned. Like I wanted to, I wanted to create a world that had more legs and different timelines. Essentially, mm-hmm. kind of like what what uh, George Lucas did with Star Wars, where he started with, he started with, with, with part with part four, yeah, which was part one. But it was it was the first film was part four of the six film oh. trilogy. So you're thinking about this now? Yes. Okay. So 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 book book one is actually a prequel to the screenplay. So in book one, I go back to the beginning, which there's flashback chapters, which takes us back to Nigeria, how he was raised, his dad being in the Nigerian mafia, how he was influenced. I won't give away too much, but it's really, really, it's a heartwarming, you know, story cool like it's like the sopranos just think nigeria you know i did a lot of research into the nigerian mafia and how they operated and all that and and so that was kali's beginnings but then you know the main chapters follows him you know trying to take down this um this uh this guy named lucas van Groot, who's essentially created this international uh, hostage inc where he's essentially taking wealthy people hostage and people who own specific companies in order to to uh influence the stock market Mm. and so um so the story jumps back and forth from there, but the majority of the book takes place. It takes place in the present time, opposed to the past. But I say all that to say, at the end of book book one, that's where we introduce some of the character, main characters for book two, specifically the villain, the main antagonist of book two. So that's kind of how I kind of structured it out. I figured, you know, okay, if this is going to be a three book series. And screenplay, the screenplay is serving as book two. Now all I got to do is work backwards, and then I got to work forward from the end of the screenplay. Mm, mm. So, um, and then you know, in that I, cre- I, I, you know, the black box program has all these different specializations. And you, as I mentioned offline, you got chameleons who are able to become whatever character they need to become at the drop of the dime. It's all grounded in reality. They're not shapeshifters, shape, shape but they're able to, they really, really good method actors. Then you have wind agents who could drive any vehicle like the wind. Then you have you have aberration agents who go under deep cover for decades. Kind of, you know, they're, they're very seasoned chameleons. And then you have ghost agents who are people who are able to get in and out of places like a ghost, plant themselves in strategic places where they need to be or get out of places when they need to get out of places. But within that, I also created other programs, uh, which is the Patriot program, which are chameleons and ghosts who only operate in the U.S. But then you have Shadow Four, which are, are, are agents who go in after an operation has been done and collects fingerprints and shell casings and sneaks into the country to do all of these things. So the world is vast. So I really use book one to expand on the world a little bit more. And then obviously book two, now that I'm able to stretch out the script, expands even further. And then book three kind of brings it all home. So to speak. Yeah. so this drops now. And then when does book two drop? The plan is for book two to drop 
uh, a year from now. Uh, however, I'm going to be shipped in publishers, as we talked about offline. So, yeah. so the goal is to get with get with a new publisher and then get book two dropping. You know, hopefully, uh, if not on the same anniversary date, but you know, within within a month or so, two months of book. Man, two. that's so awesome, man! Yeah. I'm excited about this, man. Thank you. Thank you. It's cool because it's needed, man. It's just, yeah. I, I, my favorite part of Jack Carr stuff in yeah. the terminal is is all this type of deep underground stuff. Yeah, yeah. And when you talk about the different programs, yeah. I immediately go, oh crap, like, is that classified? Yeah. And, and it's like, it, it's it's not, but it's yeah. like, there's truce to a lot of this. Yeah, it's yeah. an overlining uh, uh, truth, which is what makes it really cool is because yeah. you have the operational experience yeah. to make a lot of these things that people don't know about yeah. reality. And they listen to this and they go, oh my God. That's cool. Yeah. It's just cool, man. Yeah. And I really warded down a lot of stuff and created programs just to make sure I'm not walking anywhere near the line of, you know, uh, uh, classif- you know classification. Of course. Know, getting into that world just to obviously protect those who are still out there doing the job. Um, and so, yeah, just, I think if anything, like I, I, I tried to, just like I did with Transform, I also tried to really create a message in there to that and hope my hope is that we'll instigate some form of unity in our country yeah because there's just so much division yeah. so the underlying theme in the book is political division and how political division d- division is created at the top and it comes down and people at the top need us to be divided because that's how they keep their pockets filled and they keep the power and so on and so forth. And so uh, it comes to a crescendo at the end of the book where one of the main characters essentially goes off on the president and really breaks down how his decisions because of because they're uh, uh, they're relegated to a specific side is causing all of these problems and all of these problems that have been created over the course of this book could possibly been alleviated if you just thought about Everybody, not United States of Democrats, not United States of Republicans, but United States of America. Yeah. And so there's that message in there where I, I hope that it could instigate some form of unity in our country because, you know, the division is deep and it's and it's uh, it's dangerous. It's scary, man. It's scary and it's dangerous. And, you know, our enemies are laughing and they're having oh. a good time. They're not having to do much of it. They don't have to do anything, right? Yeah. yeah. They yeah. just let us burn it down to the yep. ground. Yep. And, it, and if it doesn't stop, if we don't stop. It ain't gonna happen in America, you know, 20, 30 years from now. Yeah. And so, you know, part of that's part of the message in the book as well. Remy for president, man. Nah, I wanna go that far. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I appreciate this book. I got yeah. a gift for you. Yeah. Because I know you brought me a gift. Yeah, I got man. you a little something Thank right you, here. Brother, appreciate it, man. It's a twenty liter with my book in there. I yeah, got, got it signed. Got you a hat and stuff. And, thank um, you, man. I just want to say you thank up, you, man, man, for everything that you're doing. And uh, thank you, man. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna dig into this, brother. Yeah, Jack Carr's on there too, man. Yeah, he wrote the Ford, man. man. That's awesome. It's all downhill He's from a there. Great dude. I'm definitely going to be rocking that. His four was great, man. I, yeah. he, Ray Porter did the voice on the Audible. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's, a, he's a legend. And there's like at least 50 words you can't pronounce, but Ray Porter pronounces them perfect. Does he? You can't, yeah. I can't even read yeah. what those words are. Yeah. And then, um, man, it, set the, it sets the stage. That's awesome, man. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I, I want to say, um, one, man, I appreciate you, man. Your dad would be proud, man. Thank I'm, you, man. I'm proud of you, man. Thank you. you. Like, there's a lot of pol- politics division even in our own community yeah but i've always seen you be positive and you know we all get hate from the this very small percentage of haters yeah but i've seen you shrug that off and just be super positive and look at you now man. thank you brother appreciate it Uh, i'll I'll give you uh the last word man 
Hey, well, I appreciate you, man. And uh, thank you so much for having me on. And I didn't realize all the stuff that you were going through over the last two, three years until I saw you. Were you on Joe Rogan's podcast? Yeah, yeah, Rogan's. John, yeah. I was like, holy. Because I was, your Instagram, I didn't know your Instagram disappeared and all this other stuff, man. So it's, so it's a blessing to be here on this platform with you you know you haven't been fully restored and uh and and thank you man and thank you for fighting man and continuing to fight and not stay where you were and allow those freaking morons to to try and keep you down man so um yeah man i appreciate you brother i appreciate you man where can people find all your stuff at where can people pick up the book where can people find all your stuff people can pick up the book wherever books are sold amazon barnes and nobles you know if they want a signed copy they can get a signed copy of talk shop live i believe and uh yeah man and people can find me on my social medias remy adeleke on instagram twitter facebook linkedin (laughs) i'm easy it's all over yeah 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 yeah. i appreciate you remy all right brother hey i appreciate you thanks for having me on hey go pick up remy's book Chameleon, it's out right now, a black box thriller. Make sure you guys pick this up and uh, check out the links down below. Uh, we also linked everything that Remy's doing, all his Instagram, his, his accounts. Make sure you check him out. I appreciate you guys. Till next time. Peace out. Joining the Black Rifle Coffee Club is setting your coffee delivery to autopilot. As a club member, you get your favorite premium BRCC roast, delivered fresh to your doorstep. All you have to do is pick your coffee, select the amount you want, then set the delivery schedule, and you're done. Easy as that. Not only will you get to knock coffee off your grocery list for good, but you also save cash over time since members get free shipping on deliveries. Club members also get exclusive discounts with partner brands like Philcraft Survival, Cryptech, Six Sour, and more. Join the Black Rifle Coffee Club today. Start saving and enjoy the peace of mind that your coffee has been taken care of. That concludes today's training. Any questions? Woo! John Titties, boy!